Bibles, go to the book of John, John chapter 17. Stand with me as you turn. Boy, thank you for that special. What a wonderful name. And uh, John chapter 17, John chapter 17 and verse 9, John chapter 17 and verse 9. I want to read, um, I'll read verses 9 through 20 this morning. John chapter 17, 9 through 20. I'd probably be all the way through this end of this passage of the scripture, but we'll read verses 9 through 20 to begin. The Lord would begin by prayer. He'd say, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, and that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the, from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this passage of Scripture, this glimpse into the prayer that the Lord prayed for not only his disciples, but for each of us, Lord, as just before his crucifixion. I pray this morning that you would give me the wisdom to say the things you'd have me to say, nothing less and nothing more. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to our hearts through the Scripture this morning. Give us an understanding of what this meant for the disciples in the day in which it was prayed, but also what it means to us today, Lord, and how it is applied. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for the privilege of being in your house with your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 17 begins, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes into heaven and said. This is probably, as I have mentioned in the past, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. This is my favorite gospel, the gospel of John, and probably chapter 17, one of my favorite chapters. John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Lord is really having a last conversation with his disciples. You know the setting. It's in the upper room. He's just met with his disciples. They've had the last supper. He's broken bread with them for a final time, and uh, they've shared that juice for the final time. Judas has uh, slipped out to go betray the Lord, and he would shortly be bringing his band to, to get the Lord as he would go to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this passage of scriptures, John 14, 15, and 16, you see the last conversation the Lord or some of the last instruction the Lord would give his disciples. And I, I think it's an incredibly important passage of scripture because a lot of it deals directly with us and things that God would have for us. And then in chapter 17, in the middle of that conversation, the Lord begins to lift his voice up and pray. And I think, boy, how I would have, lo- I would have loved to have been there in that moment, right? Here the Lord just having a conversation, speaking to his disciples, and the next minute he's looking up into heaven and he begins to pray for them. But the powerful thing about this passage of Scripture, it was not just a, pray for th- a prayer for them, it was a prayer for us. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. He said, I pray not for the world. He said, right now I'm not praying for the lost. I'm not praying for the world. He was about to do something for the world, wasn't he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The sacrifice that he was about to make was going to be for all men. But this prayer, he's lifting up those who have called upon him, those who have trusted in him. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. 
for they are thine. But it didn't just end with those 11 disciples that were there. He's praying for 11 of them. Judas, the son of perdition, that doomed man who had made his decision, in spite of the fact that he had walked with the Lord for three years and seen as many miracles, he had denied the Lord, and he had gone out and betrayed him. He was doomed. But these 11, it wasn't just these 11 that he would pray for, because verse 20, he says this, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He said, I'm not just praying for the 11. I'm praying for all of those that are going to believe on me because of their word. He would pray for that next generation of Christians who would come to know Christ because of the message of the disciples. He would pray for you and I today, for all of those who had trusted Christ. If you want to see the, the, the Lord's prayer for you, this is it. We think of the Lord's prayer, and we think of the scripture where it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But, but that was the disciples' prayer. That was an instructional prayer. And he would say, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That, that was not a prayer request to the Lord. He had no debtors, he had no debts, and he certainly needed no forgiveness. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. But this one, this one was God praying for his people. What brings a person to prayer? Faith brings a person to prayer, doesn't it? We believe in God. We believe in who he is, the creator of this universe, the one who loved us, died for us, rose again that we might be saved. Faith. Faith that he hears prayer, calling me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. There's a faith in who God is and a faith that the fact that he's hearing, a faith that he answers prayer. Faith produces prayer, doesn't it? It's a prayer is a product. It's a fruit of someone's trust in God. But a burden produces prayer, doesn't it? A burden produces prayer. You ever been so weighed down by a burden that you ran to the one who you knew had the answer? Burdens. They produce prayer. We have a faith in the Lord and a burden in our heart, and it brings us to our knees to call upon the Lord. And here the Lord is setting that example. He knew who had the answer. He knew what he was going to do, and he called upon the Father. But he also had a burden. He had a burden for his people. He had a burden for those that he was going to leave behind. He knew that he would be crucified. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would rise again and he would descend up into glory. And he left his people behind on purpose with a purpose. He would call them in the beginning of John chapter 14. He said, I, he goes, I, don't, I don't want you to be troubled by this. But he left them there with a purpose. And in this prayer, we see the Lord's burden for you and I unfold, and the Lord's prayer for you and I unfold as he begins to pray not only for his disciples, but for each of us. I want you to look, and I'm just only going to pick a few of them. I almost preached to the end of the chapter, but I ended up with too many points to cram into the morning, and I knew you wanted lunch soon, all right? And uh, so I've shaved it down a little bit, and I'll finish it off next week. But I want you to notice the first thing that stands out to me as he begins to pray is who we belong to. Who we belong to. Look at verses 9 through 10. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He said, I'm not praying for those that don't belong to me. Soon he would do exactly what was needed so that we could belong to him. He said, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Boy, he speaks to who we belong to, doesn't he? He's praying for his own. He's praying for his children. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for each of those that would call upon him. And he's reminding us of this fact that we belong to someone. 
John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He said, these are mine. Lord God the Father, they're thine, they're mine, because you've given them to me. And, and how, did they, how did we come to know him? I love John chapter 6, 35 through 37. It says, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye, shall have, that ye, that ye, ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You know, there's never been one that has come to the Father that God has cast out. Never been a one. What he was about to do in John chapter 18, he would go into the garden and pray, and there he would be taken by Judas, and from there on out we'd see the rest of the Scripture unfold in 18 and 19 as our Savior uh, would be led before that illegal trial by night as they would try him and lie him and lie about him and hire liars to lie about him and blaspheme his name and deliver him to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate, where they would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and he would die on that cross. Why? All because he loved us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did it because we were sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And the price for that sin is death and hell, isn't it? For the wages of sin is death. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Doomed. And yet God loved us. And yet God loved us. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. And that moment when there's a heart belief that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sin, and that I was a sinner, and that he died for me, and he rose again for me, and we put our faith in him, the Bible says, to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the what? Sons of God. We became his children. We became his children. We belong to him. He said, Lord, these are mine. I think of how the scripture reminds us that he, that he called us out from this world and said, be ye separate. What does that mean? He said, he called me out from it and he made me his. I am no longer my, belong to me. We were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Christian, there is this reminder that you are his if you've called upon him. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. You belong to him. We bear his name. He said in that verse, verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. We bear his name, don't we, friend? You know, we're meant to glorify the Lord in this world. We're meant to represent him. We bear his name. Matter of fact, he would say in verse 18 of this chapter, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. He said, the Father, you sent me into this world. 
There was a day when the Lord would leave the throne of heaven. He would be born in that little manger in Bethlehem. He would live his life without sin. He would die on the cross and rise again uh, that we might be saved. And soon he would ascend up into glory. And he said, as you sent me, I send them. As you sent me with a purpose, I send them with a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify the Lord, to point others to the Lord. They might know Christ. They might bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 1.20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. One purpose, magnify Christ. One purpose, bring glory to his name. Friend, regardless of your vocation, you have a purpose next week. This week, today, to bring glory to his name. Wherever you're going this week, wherever you're headed this week, you have a purpose. You belong to him. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a child of God, and you have been called, set apart to bring honor and glory to his name. In everything that we do and in every way that we are do it, we are made to represent Christ to a lost world. In the way that you work, your work should bring honor and glory to the Lord. In your demeanor this week, it should bring honor and glory to the Lord. In your language this week, you must bring honor and glory to your Lord. In your conduct this week, you must bring honor and glory to the Lord because you have been called to bring honor and glory to his name. Friend, there was a day when he died and he rose again, and for 40 days he would appear unto his disciples at various times. And on that, just beyond that, he would go to the Mount of Olives and he would ascend up into glory, and they'd watch him uh, ascend out of his sight. And as they stood there a-gazing, the angels would look at them and say, Why do you stand here a-gazing? Didn't he give you something to do? To go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you might glorify him. And there's a reason you weren't called out of here, the moment of salvation. It was that you could glorify God. Does not matter how young, doesn't matter how old, you were meant to glorify the Lord. Doesn't matter your vocation, your life was meant to glorify God. Are you glorifying Him? Here's the Lord in prayer. These are mine. And what a price. What a price. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, these are mine. We're to fulfill his purpose and glorify his name. And we, we, we all have different individual vocations. In other words, God's general will is for all of us to glorify him. But in God's specific will, he may have put you in a different place than he put me. But in each of us, as we fulfill his specific will, his general will is still the point. Glorify the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Your home, your family, your workplace, your friends, your neighborhood, your town, your city, your state, glorify the Lord. Can I tell you, every other purpose is below your purpose. Every other call is below your call, that call. You are his. You are his. He said, these are mine and they are thine. Glorify the Lord. We see our protection. Look at verse 11 through 12. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. 
And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. We see God's physical protection. He had kept them. The Lord had turned to Peter, James, and John, and he said, Follow me, and I will make thee fishers of men. They forsook all, and they followed him. And the Lord protected them. He watched over them. When they were hungry, friend, he he could feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. When there needed to be healing, the Lord would heal Peter's mother-in-law and show his power over disease and over nature itself. Tell them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, and he would provide for them and care for them and watch over them. If you look at chapter 18 and verse 1, look at what it says in the very next chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron. Where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples? And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all these things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked that he them, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. They come for the Lord in the garden, and the Lord, I like it how it says there in that verse, it says, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come unto him went forth and said unto them, they come through the, will, through, the, through the garden, Judas and his band, and the Lord hears them coming. He doesn't wait for them to come for him. He went out to meet them. He went out to meet them. And he said, whom do you, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he just simply looked at them and said, I am he. And when he spoke, they all fell over backwards. Look, when God speaks, something happens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When he first spoke, this world came into existence. He sustains it with his existence. When he speaks, something happens. And they said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus. I am he. And they all fell over backwards. And then he asked them again, whom do you seek? Because they're laying on the back. He said, I'm the one you're looking for. What are you doing down there? And he let them know, I'm going with you because it's what God has for me. But these 11, you don't get them. You can't have them. They belong to me. And they would go on to serve him. Ultimately, friend, they would lay down their life for their Lord, most of them, except for maybe possibly John. But the world didn't get them because they were his. Can I remind you, friend, who is in control in your life? It is God. You belong to him. I belong to him. And friend, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. 
We have the hand of God at work in our life, and there is this reality that God is in control of my life. And though he may let storms come my way, sometimes he may send me out into the storm, as he did his disciples. But as James would say, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Every storm is meant for my good, and God is in control of every storm. Friend, there is nothing in our life that God does not have his hand on. We belong to him. And he reminds them of that fact. You can't have them. I'll tell you this. There's coming a day when we're out of this world. But friend, even that day, if it doesn't happen by the rapture, God's in control of. God's in control of it. God is in control of when we leave this world behind. He is in control of what goes on in our life, and it is his protection. He said, these are mine, and the world cannot have them. Look at how he concludes chapter 16 of this book. In chapter 16 and verse 33, he said, these things have I spoken to you, that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He said, you're going to have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It can't stop me, and it can't stop what I'm doing. It is God at work behind the scenes. He protects us not only physically, but he does a work in our life spiritually. Go back to those verses. I, verse 11, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So, Lord, I want them to have the same relationship with you. Reminded of John chapter 28 and 29. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Aren't you glad you're saved? Do you know if you've put your trust in Christ, who has you in their hand? It is God. Do you know you're not holding on to him? He's holding on to you. Did you catch that in that verse? He said in that verse, he said, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, for me it was in May of 1995 at Madera Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, that I went forward and I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to as many as received him, to them gave me the power to become the sons of God, and I became his child, and he grabbed a hold of me in his hand, and he said, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Say, friend, can I lose my salvation? Absolutely not, because I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. Hey, can I do something awful enough that he'll, that, that I'll, that I'll lose it? No, because I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. Can I let go of God? No, it doesn't matter whether I let go of God because it's not me holding on to him. He's holding on to me and he's made me his child. He holds me in his hand and he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. For you and I to lose our salvation, God would have to be a liar and God would have to lose his grip and it's not in his nature, friend. What does he say? You came to trust me as your Savior, and you've trusted in me, and I've got you from now till the day of redemption. You can't get out of his hand. 
Friend, he holds me. He watches over me. He guarantees from this fact till that day that I am in his hand and I will leave this world as his child as I became his child in May of 1995. God knows we are imperfect people, but he is a perfect God. God knows if it was all about, all about us hanging on to him, we wouldn't make it. Friend, for that matter, if salvation was about you being good, you wouldn't make it either. Salvation isn't something we earn, and eternal security isn't something we earn either. He's got a hold of us. You know what? He knew something about Peter. Matter of fact, he'd already told Peter, you're going to deny me thrice before the night's over, buddy. Before the night's over, you'll deny me three times. And he did. Did Peter lose his salvation as he looked up and said, he's not my God. I don't know him. I'm not his disciple. Did he lose it? No. The Lord would even say, Simon, Peter, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter, I'm praying for you. I've got a hold of you. I've got my grip on you. I'm watching over you. And heaven is your home. Friend, he reminds us of this fact. That God, friend, we're his. And he's our protection. He's our protection. I would tell you this. I don't know what trial that you have in your life. But I promise you this, that God will use it. And I promise you, he won't let something get a hold of you that's too great. And I know this, that my God is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. And he is quick to forgive, and and salvation is ours, and you cannot lose it. It's not an excuse to sin. It's the reason to live holy, my friend. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? Eternal security is not an excuse for me to live how I want to live. It is the reason that we live holy because we've got a God who's got a hold of us and a God who loves us, and I want to please the one who loved me so much that he died for me and hold on to me for all of eternity. That's who he is. It's in his nature. It's in his makeup. And as he prayed for us, he reminds us of our belonging. He reminds us of our protection. And, friend, he reminds us of our fellowship. Look at then again in verse 11 again. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I am come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Now skip ahead to verse 21. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in them. That they also may be one in us. The world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Down to verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Boy, friend, he declares our fellowship. A fellowship through the Son. Verse 21 again. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 
Friend, where does that fellowship come from? In 1 John, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would say again, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Friend, you know where our fellowship comes from? The Lord Jesus Christ. See, I would say today that I hope that all of us have the same thing in common. The Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For me, it was May of 1995 at Cincinnati, Ohio. You don't have to tell me, but where was it for you that you first came to know Christ? When was it that you became his child to as many as received him? To them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Where were you, friend, when with the heart you believed unto salvation and with the mouth confess, or with the heart man believed unto righteousness and with a mouth confession was made unto salvation? Where were you that day when you called upon the Lord, when you knew that you were a sinner and knew that Jesus was the son of God and that he lived his life without sin and died on a cross and rose again three days later that you might be saved? And that moment you became his child and you became his son and you were saved from your sins and given a home in heaven. When was that day? See, friend, I would say today that because of that day and what Jesus did for us, we have fellowship together, don't we? It's why we can sing in Christ alone. It's why we can sing about the glory of God. Now, now I'll tell you something, friend. If you're a little bit uncomfortable with those songs, maybe that you're not a part of the family in which we gathered for this family reunion today. You know, if you jump in on somebody else's family reunion, you might be a little uncomfortable, right? Man, if I just showed up at your family reunion, probably from the moment I stepped in there, you'd look at people look around. Well, he doesn't look like us, does he? And I'd look around and say, well, I don't look like you, right? And I might I might miss out on some of the jokes and some of the stories because I just don't fit there. There's something different, isn't it, about today? You know, Christ. Those songs mean something, don't they? We got the same Savior. We were born into the same family. We have the same inheritance. Have someone to sing about and a word to read because we fellowship around him. We fellowship around him. A lost man might show up and just not get it. And I feel for him because they're not saved, they're not his child. Friend, if you're here today and you're not his child, I'm not surprised that today is a little uncomfortable for you. But I will tell you that is easily fixed (laughs) because there's one who did all the work when he gave himself on Calvary and died on the cross and rose again that you might be saved, that you might be his child. He did all the work that you could be born of the Spirit. He would look at Nicodemus and say, Nicodemus, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus would say, well, how does that happen? Can I enter into the womb again and be born? And what a silly thing that is. And no, God says, you're not born of the water. You're not born of the flesh again. You're born of the spirit, my friend. That's that moment that you put bow your head and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. And we receive that spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that spirit within is born again. And we become his child, born again, born again. That's why you can come from every different background in the world and come to a place where you know Christ, where folks that know Christ, and though you may have different languages, and though you may have different backgrounds, there's something we've got in common. 
and his name is Jesus. The fellowship that we have. How about the purpose or the, how about not only just the fellowship of the son, but a fellowship that has purpose. Verse 18 again, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Boy, it's not pointless fellowship, is it? It's purposeful fellowship. It's not aimless fellowship. It's, it's purposeful fellowship. In Philippians 1.27, it was, the Lord would say, Only let your conversation be as become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Fellowship with a purpose. Fellowship with a purpose. God put us together so that we could assemble together because he had a mission for us. Boy, as he, as the father sent him into the world, so he sent us into the world, friend. That Bible you've got in your hand contains the gospel. Do you know why we fellowship together? To get that gospel out to everybody else who's not here. That's it. That's why someone will work a sound booth. That's why someone will usher. That's why somebody will work in a nursery. That's why someone will teach a Sunday school class or work in a, in a Sunday or work in a junior church. That's why someone will clean a building. That's why somebody met you out at the street. That's why someone will go and knock on some doors this week. That's why somebody else will assemble some scriptures on Thursday morning. That's why there'll be a, a Christian school in there that folks come in and learn with because we're striving together, serving our Savior for the, for the sake of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. There is a point to our fellowship. Now, if you walk down to the, to the mall down here on this morning and you stop in the food court, you will see some aimless, pointless fellowship. And we've all been a part of aimless, pointless fellowship, haven't we? Just fellowshipping for the fellowship's sake. That's not why we fellowship together. Oh, we're going to enjoy each other's company. We're going to provoke one another into love and good works. Why? Because we have a point for which we assemble. There was a reason why God left you on this earth, friend. There was a reason why when he ascended up into heaven, he didn't take those 120 that were gathered there to go up there with him. There's a reason why when you came to know Christ as your Savior that you weren't caught out of this world. There's a reason that we were here, and it was not for aimless, pointless fellowship. It was for the purpose and the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would be a part of this thing called the Great Commission and get the gospel from these walls outside that folks that don't know Christ could come to know Christ. It is a purposeful fellowship on purpose. There's a reason you're here. There's a reason we're still long, we're still here. Friend, there's coming a day when the time is up. And until the time is up, we should be busy with his purpose. Busy with his purpose. The fellowship. Not only do we see that, that fellowship that produces a love in our heart. Look at verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Boy, the love of God. That love that was in the Father, that love that was in the Son, should be in the heart of a Christian. That's right. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, that love that was in the Son, that love that was in the Father was born in you too, friend. The Bible says this in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love 
one to another. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Love. Why do we even assemble together today? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Why did we come here today? We share a love for the Savior who had a love for us and a love for one another. And so we provoke one another unto love and good works because we love him. That fellowship is bound together by love. It's why the Lord would rebuke that church at Ephesus in Revelations chapter 2. I have somewhat against thee because you have left your what? First love. Don't let anything steal your love. Don't let anyone steal your love. Get a good grasp of how much he loved you. Love him in return and love the people that he loves. It doesn't matter how unlovely they are. Love the people that he loves, my friend. It is the call of God. It is the command of God. It is the love that he has expressed towards us. It's the love that we should give towards him. And it's the love that we should offer to those around us. A love for God. Why? Because we serve the same God and we were born again into the same family. Matter of fact, in 1 John, the Lord would even put it at there. If you don't love the brethren, the love of the Father doesn't abide in you. Love of the Father doesn't abide in you. I tell you what, if you love God and you love his people, you will love his assembly. You will. Love. Fellowship with a purpose. Here's the Lord. He's pouring out his heart. Lord Jesus Christ giving us an earthly example of prayer. He would bow his head or lift his head voice up to heaven. He would pray looking up and say to his father. And here he is. His faith and his burden is poured out. Lord, these folks belong to me. They belong to me. Lord, these people need your protection. I'm sending them out into the world. And they belong to me. And I would remind you, friend, that you have God's protection. God won't let anything into our life that he's not fully in control of. And friend, he's got you. From here to the day till you leave this world, he's got you. I don't know what you have done, but you serve a God who is forgiving. What's the song? What sin are you talking about? God has dealt with it. It's the reason to live right because of who he is. And the fellowship that we have with the Father. The fellowship that we have with the Son. The fellowship that we have with another, one another, because of the Father and the Son. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the goodness of the Lord. I thank you for his mercy and his grace. I'm thankful for the prayer that you open up and let us get a glimpse of. Lord, I pray that as you have spoken to our heart, we would respond. Lord, that you've reminded us who we belong to. Maybe there's someone living today in a way that is not bringing glory to your name. They're living as if they belong to someone other than you, when in reality they belong completely to you. I pray their heart would be made right with you, and they confess their sin, forsake their sin, and live for the Lord. Or maybe it's just a reminder that, Lord, we are loved by our God.
Maybe it's the protection of the Lord in our life, and maybe someone's in the middle of a battle or a struggle, and they've been reminded God is in control of it. Maybe it's this matter of the fellowship that we have with the Lord. Maybe it's been a while since someone has fellowshiped with you, or maybe you just haven't been faithful to the fellowshipping with your people. But as you have spoken to our heart, I pray that we'd respond. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this first question this morning is, do you know the Lord? Do you know him? I'm not asking you if you know about him. I'm asking you, do you know him? Was there a time in your life? You may not know the exact date or time, but you could say, preacher, I know that I'm on my way to heaven. I, I know that I belong to him because I put my trust in Christ. And if I were to die right now, I know that I'm his child. I know heaven is my home because I've trusted in him. If that's your testimony, just heads bowed, nice closed. Just between you and me and the Lord, would you raise your hand and say, preacher, I know him. Salvation is mine. Heaven is my home. That's settled for me. Thank you. you may put your hand down. Is there anybody to say, preacher, I'm unsure about that, but I don't want to leave here unsure. I want today to be the moment that I come to know Christ as my Savior, and I want to put my trust in him, and I don't want to leave here unsure today. Preacher, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? You'd raise your hand and say, preacher, pray for me. I want to know Christ. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe it's a reminder of his mercy. I'm so thankful I can't lose my salvation. I'm so thankful that in spite of the fact that I'm an imperfect man, I serve a perfect God who's got a good grip on me. Maybe it's a reminder of that he's got a hold of you, a reminder that you belong to him or the fellowship you have with him. But you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this morning. Would you raise your hand just as a testimony between you and I and the Lord? Would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play? As, as God has spoken to your heart, the altar is open, the invitation is given, and Brother Anthony's going to sing a verse or so, and the piano will play, and take some time to pray. Boy, if God has spoken to your heart, make sure you speak in return. A relationship was what he was after when he saved us. And as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning. I have decided